1: Tales from the Break Room is a viewer submission show. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, share it with us at eeriecast.com slash submit. And if you've got a moment, please leave Tales from the Break Room a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? Lately, when I've been driving to work at night, I swear I keep seeing this strange silhouette of a girl on the side of the road. And now I've stopped seeing her on the road because now I swear she's in the passenger seat. I can only see her indirectly. If I turn to look, there's nothing there but my three-month-old bag of Burger King that is stinking up the car. Anyway, welcome back to The Break Room, friends, and while I'm dealing with my Burger King ghost, enjoy these new, scary, and allegedly true work stories. My friend, Booze and Booze, joins us today to read a couple of stories. Be sure to subscribe to his channel on YouTube if you want to hear more of his voice. That's booze as in the drink, and booze as in what might happen if I finally see the ghost girl in the seat next to me. These are tales from The Break Room. Haunted Real Estate Building From Violet Just mere weeks before the world was plunged into the two-year COVID lockdown blip, I started a new job at one of Australia's largest media companies. I was the receptionist. On my first day, I was shown around the very industrial, minimalist-looking building. There were two floors, ground and first. Both were very plain, very full of exposed brick, concrete, and piping. It was nice to look at, but it had a certain cold feeling about it. I put it down to being so different to the usual corporate buildings I've worked at. The receptionist I was taking over for began giving me the rundown of the job, how the doors and security passes worked, what to do and what to avoid, the usual new job spiel. First, she showed me the first floor where all the staff sat. It had roughly 150 desks, scattered about in a 4, 6, or 8 desk per pod kind of situation. There was a large kitchen that was made to look like a street cafe that graduated down into 4 split levels. They also had some reading nooks and game stations with couches. We took the back stairs, which again were of exposed brickwork, pipes, and concrete, the whole deal. One thing that stood out to me as particularly strange, and probably the source of the cold feeling, was the fact that the ceilings were really high, but the windows only started from about 1.8 meters up or so. Unless you were really tall or standing on something, you could not see out onto the street at all. So if it was a gloomy day outside, the lighting inside would be dim. When we made it to the ground floor, she showed me the back end of the building, There were two long corridors, which only lit up if someone activated the motion sensors. These were set up in strategic grids. If one grid was activated, the rest wouldn't be until someone went into it. So as to save power, there were some changing rooms and bathrooms, and a long block of meeting rooms down the middle of the two corridors. After she finished the ground floor tour, we circled back to the reception desk. To the left, there was a sliding glass door that took me to the first corridor which opened from both sides if swiped with a security card. To the right was an elevator for wheelchair access, and beside it a staircase, which was enclosed with a glass balustrade. Directly in front of the reception desk was a couch for visitors to use, and behind it is a frosted glass panel. It was all pretty straightforward. Staff had to swipe in and out of every door, which made a beep to alert whoever was on the other side so they wouldn't be smacked by a swinging door. This included the one at the top of the stairs and inside the elevator and the front and back entrances to the building. Weeks went by without incident. I slowly got to know the staff and building and ignored the ever-present cold feeling. Fast forward to March 2020, the world went into lockdown. Everyone was advised to work from home and that included me. However, our company had acquired a new building a year prior to the COVID news and as luck had it, The keys were ready to hand over to us in June and our tenancy was up after that. So my job as the receptionist was to go to the office and start packing everything up ready for the move. This meant going in alone due to strict work from home orders from our government. So I packed my bluetooth speaker, snacks, lunch, candy, everything to get a girl by in a creepy building and headed to work. Luckily for me I didn't need to be there every day, so I picked and chose when to go in usually when the weather was sunny, which made the building much less creepy. The first few days I did this routine, nothing out of the ordinary happened. The coldness was there, but nothing I couldn't handle. I kept busy whilst singing along to my music really loudly, and obsessively checking that both doors into the building were still locked every time I walked past. I should mention here that the swipe access had been disabled, for everyone aside from me and one IT guy who didn't come into the office as he was immunocompromised and preferred to stay isolated at home. So around the third or fourth week of me going in solo, I had some administrative stuff to do. So I parked myself at the reception desk and plugged in the speaker there. Then I got to work. By around mid-morning, the sensor light off to my left behind the frosted sliding door came on. Promptly after that, a silhouette of what looked to be a person Casually walked by. My entire body froze. No one had access to be in the building. My first thought was that another staff member had come in and IT forgot to tell me. I emailed them and asked. I received a prompt message that no one else had gained access on their swipe pass records for the day. Like any normal person, I got up, swiped in, and called out to see who was there. No one replied and the lights went off. I put it down to glitches and shadows. Nothing else happened that day. The next time I was in, something else happened. I sat at the reception desk, and I got to work. A few hours into the shift, the lights came on again, but no shadow. This time, the meeting room behind the reception couch lit up. Again, no one was in the building with me. I confirmed it with IT once more. I sucked in a deep breath. Glitches, that's all, I told myself. A few hours later, a beep sounded. The beep that alerts you to a security panel being swiped. The door above me at the top of the stairs opened. My heart lurched. Following my usual drill, I emailed IT and again they confirmed that no one was in here with me. This time, I mustered up the courage to go on the search for the mystery person or thing. I took my pass, hauled myself up the stairs, and swiped in just as the door that had opened seconds ago sealed shut. Once inside, I looked around. To the left, the lights were still off, meaning the sensor hadn't been tripped. The ones to the right were on, though. I logically went in that direction. The light trail wrapped around to the kitchen, which was off, but the lighting leading to the back stairs was on. I followed it down, and as I suspected, it was the downstairs corridor all the way through to the frosted door I could see from my reception desk. Whatever, or whoever it was, seemed to be walking the same path regularly, almost like someone who would go to work, stop at the kitchen for a coffee, head downstairs, and then to reception. This went on every time I was there, and I suspect that it happened regularly, even when other staff were there. However, due to the constant flow of foot traffic and lights coming on and off and passes being swiped, no one would have noticed. I never found out who was there before us, nor what the building's history was. But I have heard that Melbourne in general has a load of interesting old buildings with some very interesting history.
0: Small Town Gas Station by Optimistic Avocado. I used to work at a small neighborhood gas station. I was working an opening shift at 6am with my best friend and my coworker. We were doing our normal stuff. As the sun came up, I went to get some ice from the back. For reference, the gas station building used to have a drive through, so we have that kind of window in the back. I glanced at the back window and realized that there was literally a bloody handprint on the window. As I looked closer. There were smudges of blood around the window handle that looked like someone was definitely attempting to slide it open. We were really freaked out so we went to look around other potential entrances around the building. I looked at the window in the front and noticed that the dried blood on the hole where we take the money for gas from outside looked like someone was trying to stick their hand in to try to get something inside. I keep looking around and there was also dried blood on the front door handles plus some spatters on the glass, like someone was pounding on it. My friend and I were both freaking out at this point. Luckily, I had access to the security cameras and I checked them for any motion during the night. At 5 a.m., there was a motion capture and we watched as a man with his arms covered in blood walked around the store trying to get inside. The freakiest thing was, usually the store is open at 5 a.m., but it happened to be a Sunday, so we opened at six Really dodged a bullet there. There was police lights in the distance on the cameras, so we called the sheriff. He showed up pretty quickly, watched the security footage for himself, and then confirmed it was the guy they picked up just a bit after 5.30 a.m. Definitely the craziest thing that's ever happened to me in three and a half years of working at that gas station.
1: This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the roaring 20s. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. On the third floor of one of the largest buildings on my college campus, there's a computer lab that hides a strange photograph. If you head over to the very back, along the right wall, carefully step onto the desk situated against the corner and look up, you can just make out the bezel of a picture frame, aligned with a block only a few feet away from the ceiling. If you're feeling brave, you can climb up even further onto the ledge running along the wall and if you stretch yourself out and stand on the tips of your toes, you can reach said picture frame. When you grab it, which I really don't recommend you do, and make your way down, you'll find the black and white image of a cute girl, no more than 20 years of age, smiling at you, captioned with a simple message, Rest in peace, Mima. Here's my story about that bizarre memorial. I was a student and employee there, They hired second-year IT students for entry-level positions. At the time, it was the end of the summer, one of the last days before our shifts switched from full-time to part-time nights. My co-workers and I were relaxing in the aforementioned room. It was our favorite, one that was nicely air-conditioned and far enough away from IT services to be secure in the knowledge that we wouldn't run into our bosses. It even had a workable projector to boot. After lying back in the small office chair at one of the stations, our coworker pointed the photo out to us, with a, Hey, what's that? Even craning our necks, we couldn't make it out properly, because of how high up it was. So after some deliberation, the tallest guy among us decided to make his way up. He collected the picture frame, bringing it down and placing it on the desk so we could all see. I don't think any of us read the tiny caption right away, instead opting to take in the image of the beautiful girl smiling in the photo. When someone finally spoke it out loud, it being, rest in peace Mimo, tension filled the air. It was an odd image to find, especially hidden away up in the corner of the room, as if it was deliberately placed out of reach. It didn't take long for one of us to joke that the room was now haunted, which helped us to return to our casual atmosphere. Then we encouraged him to put the picture back, lest the imaginary ghost get angry. And he did, though he couldn't be bothered to climb up once more. So instead, he tossed it back up to where it had been before. We heard the sharp thud of wood as the frame landed and squarely fell over, presumably onto its face. I might have cringed a little then at the haphazard way the photo was tossed, but I never spoke up sure enough we'd forgotten about the picture by the end of the day it didn't cross my mind again at least not until i arrived home after a few drinks i went to bed not before googling a little to see if i could find anything about a girl named Mima who might have died under some tragic circumstance at my campus however nothing came up with my first few queries and so i give up when i arrived back at campus that morning The first thing I did was visit the room. Not to pay respects or anything, I just wanted to drop off my bag. When I got to the door, I pulled my keycard, swiping it on the reader. But nothing happened. I swiped again, and again. After the fifth time, I stopped trying, assuming the authentication mechanism might have been down across the campus. That theory proved wrong only a minute later, as I headed into the office where we had our work items assigned. Both my card and other readers were functioning, and yet, the one laboratory did not want to open up. This became all the more relevant a few hours later, when my coworkers and I made our way up to the room to take our lunch break. They swiped, and they too were rejected. Each of us ended up trying, only to determine the reader was simply broken. I remember us opting to go and find another room to eat in, though we lamented the fact that we couldn't use our preferred one. It was curious to me, though. My mind kept trying to draw coincidental lines between our discovery of that photograph and the door locking. Obviously, there was nothing going on, but for some reason I couldn't shake the feeling that our interaction with that picture might have contributed. Over time, however, I forgot about her. My friends and I had moved on to a new room, one that was arguably superior because the lab featured Windows machines over iMacs, and we more or less stopped mentioning the old lab. I do remember one instance where I asked my coworkers if any of them had found anything online about Mima, but it seemed I was the only one with enough curiosity to even bother researching her. When my work transitioned to part-time shifts at the start of September, I was not looking forward to it whatsoever. I was now spending even more time on campus. My 8-hour course time of the new semester, followed by a 2-hour break, then a 4-hour night shift starting at 5pm. This led me to being there all day. During these shifts, one other person served with me. I got along with him very well, and so it really wasn't too bad. The first few weeks went by fine. Lots of asset replacement, pushing our tiny trolleys around campus and ripping out old computers and monitors at the end of their warranty periods, then bringing in their replacements. It was all pretty uneventful work. Up until the evening right near the end of September, where we got assigned a ticket in our old favorite place, Mimo's room. The ticket, which was a PDF, only contained the boring room number. But it was the lab. We both laughed when we saw it, obviously opting to do that ticket first. The work seemed trivial. A handful of computers showing offline needed to be assessed. We worked our way to the building and headed upstairs, first checking the nearby printer to make sure it was functional. Then I swiped my car on the door. Lo and behold, nothing. My coworker tried too. It was just as broken as it was before. It seemed facilities still hadn't fixed it, Of course, card readers weren't the only way to access the room. Though it was a hassle, we could go over to security and sign out the massive two-pound contractor keyring. And that's just what we did. We opted to finish up our other tickets first, and so when we arrived at the lab with the security keys, it was near dark outside. It took us a few minutes, but we eventually found the right family of keys to fit in the lock, then the specific one to open the door. It swung open with a creak, and what we were greeted with was bizarre. The motion-activated lights had failed almost completely. Only the fluorescent panel directly above our heads lit up. It quickly became obvious why lab computers were showing offline. Ethernet and power cords were strewn about the room. At first it seemed random, cables thrown about in disarray. But as I stared on, it looked to be more purposeful almost like a barrier. As we exchanged bewilderment, I focused. Two-thirds of the way into the room, cables were woven together to create some sort of guard, dividing the rest of the space no more than two feet high. Quickly, he suggested we call security. I nodded. It was bizarre, though. It wasn't like the lab had been robbed. Whoever had made a mess of the room did it in a particular, intricate manner, It must have taken hours. As he took out his phone, I tried using the panel on the wall to override the motion sensor. It didn't work. The lights refused to activate. As I pressed each switch, I became aware of someone else in the room. It was hard to notice with the noise we were making. I don't think he heard it at all. I ushered my partner to be quiet, and when he was, we both picked up on it. It was a girl, crying very quietly. It was at the back of the lab, beyond the messy blockade of wires. The light from the strip above us couldn't reach that area though, and so we could not see her. Before I could say anything, he shouted hello, asking who was there. Then with the line to security waiting to be picked up, he turned on his phone flashlight, shining it in the direction the sobbing was coming from. We both were terrified, Her head was in her hands, and she wore a plain white dress. Even though every sense of realism I had screamed that it was impossible, she looked exactly like Mima. My colleague recognized her too. Immediately, he knew something was wrong. We both stepped out together, keeping an eye on the hard-to-make-out sobbing girl as we did. When we were in the hallway, we shut the door. Stepping back to the other side of the hallway and staring. We sat down outside the door when the security guard showed up. Our faces must have been white as snow, judging by the way he spoke to us. All I said was that there was someone in the room who shouldn't be there. He didn't prompt us for any more information, instead moving to unlock the door with his keycard. Unexpectedly, it worked. It opened into a perfectly normal computer lab. Everything was back where it should have been. Even the lights were functional. We heard the telltale sounds of computers POST'ing around the room, or power on self-test, as if multiple just had their power sources restored. The guard walked into the room, asked if anyone was there, and inspected each and every space a person could hide. Given there were only two exits to the room, both being in our field of view, he suggested we were mistaken, because there was no one inside. And no way they could have gotten out. I remember having to fill out a short report. He called in something to the office after that. He stayed with us as we worked on our ticket, which helped us feel a little more secure. My partner and I were now in the laboratory, confused and creeped out as all heck. Mutually, we decided to finish up the work and exit as soon as possible. Bizarrely though, every computer which had been listed as downed on the work item we had was now perfectly up and running. After a quick check, it became clear there was no work to be done. Of course, we told all our co-workers about it, our night shift manager too. Neither believed us, though the latter was good-humored and assumed we were joking. Between my coworker and I, we never came up with a logical explanation, and instead it became a staple of conversation that over time turned comedic. After that though, a series of bizarre events started to occur. It was just little stuff at first. IT services had a few of our own spaces secured with keycards, the office building and a neighboring one filled with workstations, monitors, and keyboards. Frequently, we went through both, not only to retrieve items, but also because they were pretty central in campus construction and served as great shortcuts. But here and there, we would notice little oddities, things that should not be there the drawings were the first of them i remember being messaged a picture by someone who worked the night after me it was of a cartoon cat drawn seemingly with crayon on one of the walls of the storage room it wasn't all too weird although i could count on my fingers the number of people that had access to that space over time more and more appeared all sorts of animals symbols and stick figure people drawn in a childish crayon over the walls Our IT team eventually adopted a mock competition to see who could find the newest illustration first. Nobody ever came forward to admit it was them drawing. Not even when our bosses got all huffy and asked who was vandalizing the place, threatening to check these security cameras if no one came forward. At the same time, we began to notice another form of art, origami. Crafted shapes of cranes and other animals began popping up in our secure spaces they were always made out of the same blue paper. The creepiest thing about them was that if you found one and removed it, the next day another would be back in the same spot, identically folded and poised. I must have collected thirty of these over the course of a few weeks, and they kept on being replaced. The next and more inexplicable series of events that occurred began on a Saturday, I remember specifically because the guy who was unlucky enough to have the full eight-hour Saturday shift blew up our Discord chat, talking about how he had heard a girl giggling and hasty footsteps down in the asset storage area. Everybody was quick to call him out, save me and my coworker, but given we live in the age of smartphones, he had attached a recording. It was as he described, him following the sound of a girl's laughter around the secured space, never able to catch up with her but always close enough to hear. I remember watching as he swore and opted to take the exit before he made his way down to security to fill out a report. I decided to take the initiative, being the first to call it the Ghost of Mimaw. With two separate experiences to go off of, plus the bizarre artifacts we were finding, the Ghost of Mimaw now became an all too believable urban legend among our IT team. Over the next few weeks the timeline intensified. All of us experienced some out of the ordinary event, most of it was laughter and sounds that shouldn't have been there. Some were visual. I remember being outdoors one day. It was already dark out. I was pushing a trolley of computers when I heard the bizarre sound of someone skipping. I turned to my left and watched a slim girl dressed in white skipping by me and past the corner of a building, humming to herself. Naturally, I followed, prepping my phone to record her but when I turned the corner into a wide-open stretch of campus with practically zero places to hide, she had completely vanished. The creepiest experience must have been one that four of us saw altogether. This was the week leading up to Christmas, and while every student and the majority of staff were on break, we had the opportunity to return to full-time hours for the five days. Me and three others had signed up. At that point, Mimaw seemed more like a novelty than anything dangerous and so it wasn't a deterrent to work, especially considering how much we needed money around the holidays. That interpretation quickly changed, though. We were in a building on the north side of campus. After spending the better part of the day wheeling trolleys full of brand new desktops and monitors up to the building, we had begun installing them. We'd finished one room and were on to the second, which was directly beside it in the hall. As we worked, we began to hear loud crashing sounds from the completed room. Obviously, I got up to see, since we were among the only people on campus. Just as I was about to duck into the room to see what was going on, a desktop came flying by the door, narrowly missing me. It crashed against the wall with an ear-shattering thud, its side panel coming off and a few of the internals spilling out onto the floor. At that point, the rest of my team came in and saw the PC in pieces. We entered the room, only to find the majority of the lab machines in similar states damaged and strewn about. It seemed impossible. These were public classrooms, and so each station was secured to a cage built into a desk with a padlock. There was simply no way the amount of damage could have occurred, let alone in that short of a time. Nobody was in the room when we filed in. But as if to tease us, the other entrance swung away. We heard footsteps and the telltale giggling of the ghost of, you guessed it, Mimo. The fallout from that event was immense. Things were getting a little too corporeal for us. It was tense and uncomfortable. Beyond that, our bosses were furious. We had an emergency meeting arranged to discuss what had happened. But due to the lack of CCTV in the room, we were unable to prove our side of things. We almost all got terminated that day and were barred from any extra shifts. Following that incident I had a very bizarre dream. I remember it vividly. I was standing on a subway platform. It was empty save me and Meemaw. In my hands, I held an old camera. She stood at the edge of the platform, looking at me and smiling. She'd do little things with her hands and make cute gestures as I photographed her. Then maybe a minute later, the light of a train became apparent. It was loud, barreling down the tunnel. I remember lowering the camera, watching as Meemaw waved at me once more and just as the train neared, she stepped backwards, falling into the space of the tracks and getting hit by the train. As the vehicle passed, I looked down, finding in my hand a photograph, but not one I'd taken, the one from the room instead. Where we'd first seen her, captioned, Rest in Peace, Mimo, with a frown occupying her face instead of a smile. When I woke up, I was covered in sweat, I checked my phone and it read 4 AM. I tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't. As I lay there thinking about the photograph, I had an epiphany. I really can't describe it properly, but something inside me knew what I had to do. I waited patiently for a few hours, up until the first bus that followed the road alongside my college would run. Then I made my way to the station and got on. I didn't have a shift, and following the events of the day previous, I really shouldn't have went to the campus, but I did. I had to. As soon as I stepped off the bus, this cold sensation came over me. Granted, the morning air was chilly, but this was different. It prickled my skin the farther I went, but I ignored it. I headed directly towards my old favorite lunch spot, Mima's room. I still had my ID card, and so I was able to unlock the access door of the building, then make my way up to the floor the room was on. I stood before it. The air around me, despite being conditioned, was horrendously tense and thick. Almost like I was moving through water. But I continued. I swiped my card. The door showed green and unlocked without issue. Then I stepped inside. It was normal. The lights came on fine, and I moved to the back of the room. As gracefully as I could, I moved though every fiber of my being told me that there was something inside the room, something I couldn't see, watching me. But I kept going. I climbed up the desk, then onto the thin ledge that ran against the wall, and I reached up as far as I could, just barely managing to grab the edge of the frame. I pulled it down. The photo was different, just like my dream. Meemaw wore a soft frown, looking upset, the palpable sensation that someone was right behind me as i balanced on the ledge was nearly impossible to ignore but i did manage to ignore it as genuinely as i could i blew the little bit of the dust off the photo before whispering a quiet sorry mimo then i strained myself as far as i could and carefully put the photograph back how it was before we'd ever touched it face up standing tall As I let the frame go, the sensation of something behind me vanished. It was like a weight being lifted. Within seconds, everything about the room felt fine, natural, normal. I climbed down, looking once more back at where I put the photograph, before leaving and making my way out of the campus. When I arrived home, I vaguely remember collapsing into bed and sleeping well into the afternoon. Following that day, the ghost of Mimo was never heard from again. The scribblings we had seen on the wall vanished, as did the cute origami figures. I never heard a giggle, or footsteps, or caught her in the corner of my eye on my night shifts. I never explained to my co-workers what I'd done either, and though we were all disappointed in the loss of the novelty, I think the relief we felt from knowing we'd never have to deal with her again was a fair trade. To this day, I don't know who Mima was or why her photograph sat there. But I did visit it a few times after hours up until I left the college. And believe it or not, her smile had returned. I suppose the photograph served as a memorial or an ode, one that should never have been disrespected as it was. But I guess I'll never know for sure.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. Shadow in the Treat Line by DigTacBro. This might end up being a long story, but I want to be as detailed as possible. I work for my city's water department, and every day, my job consists of repairing leaks or doing new installations for businesses and homes alike. There are two parts to our water department that keep everything running distribution, where I normally work, and production. Production deals with the chemical side of things. They chlorinate the water and do water sample checks. Production is also responsible for the upkeep of our water and well sites and for our water storage facilities. Mowing grass is one of those responsibilities as well. Both parts of our department are extremely understaffed right now. So we sometimes give the production guys a hand with the grass when they need it. A couple of weeks ago, it was my turn. And here's where the weirdness begins. My city is in central Louisiana, with a population of about 45,000 people. We're surrounded by wooded area. No matter which way you travel, into or out of town, you're gonna see plenty of trees. As such, a lot of our well sites are located out in the boonies. Most of our city trucks are four-wheel drive with mud grips because it's needed more often than not. I had four sites to cut that day. I headed out just before sunrise to the one at the end of a long dirt road where if trouble strikes, your phone better be charged because no one is going to be able to hear you yell. And surprisingly enough, this isn't where my strange encounter took place. The sun was rising as I was approaching my first sight, and on the road ahead of me stepped out a doe with two of her fawns. Excitedly, I hurried to snap a few pictures. To my surprise, the mama and her babies were not afraid of the loud rumbling diesel I was driving. The speckled fawns made their way across the path as the mom calmly watched me in the truck. Once the babies were safely across, she looked back the way she came and then joined her little ones in the tree line on the opposite side of the road. I breezed through my mowing, loaded the equipment back onto the trailer and texted my mom the pictures of the deer as I headed back into town. My mom messaged me back saying, I've read that deer are an omen of good fortune. Looks like you're going to have a great day. Be safe. I love you and i did have a great day i knocked out the two sites without issue and everything was going pretty smoothly until i reached the gate of the last place i had to mow McKeithen site is one of the biggest ones we have that's closest to town it's about the size of a football field it's not in the middle of nowhere but it's on the outskirts of the city there's normally plenty of traffic that travels on that road so there's really no feeling of seclusion even though it is surrounded by thick woods on three sides. I've cut this spot plenty of times, but that day just felt different. I pulled the truck through and hopped out of the gate to lock it behind me. Immediately though, I felt like I needed to get back into my truck as quick as possible. I made my way down the driveway to park near the tower like I have so many times before. But after I parked and killed the truck, everything felt heavy Everything felt silent. I don't know how long I sat until I was finally able to will myself to open up the door and get outside. Instantly, I felt eyes on me. The feeling was coming from the back right corner of the field outside of the fence, just inside the tree line where the pimento bushes grow. It calmed my nerves and reminded myself that I was surrounded by an eight foot inclimbable fence with a locked gate. Yeah, if someone had a gun, they could have shot me, But they weren't going to actually get to me. If the barbed wire at the top of the fence didn't get them, a face full of weed eater strings and blades would. I jumped on the zero turn and took off mowing, keeping my eye on the back corner during every pass. After about two hours, I had the entire front part mowed, and it was time to hit the back part by the creepy corner. I was about to head that way, but the mower blades wouldn't engage. I had to take the covers off, pull grass out of the belts, and then out from under the deck. I then greased the pulleys and had to do all sorts of troubleshooting. Finally got the blades going again, but the gaslight came on. I didn't realize it until later, but I felt like something was doing everything it could to keep me from going back to that part of the lot. After finally getting everything up and running, and then mowed the back as quick as possible, doing everything I could to keep my sight on that fence. I finally got done and loaded the mower, I still had to do a bit of weed eating around that area. But when the weed eater wouldn't start, I knew it was time to go. I hadn't had any issues with it all that day. But this was the last hint that I needed to get out of there. After pulling out of the gate and locking it behind me, I turned out onto the highway and started heading home. But not before looking at that corner one last time. And that's when I finally saw it the unmistakable shadow of a figure standing in the pimentos. It wasn't trying to hide or make itself unseen. It was there. Being at a safe distance from it, I stopped and watched. It moved to the side as if it were bending to try to see me better on the road. It had no distinguishing features, no hair, no clothes. Just a person shaped mass. I decided I had to get as far away as I could from there and the thought I had been so close to it for so long and never saw it sent chills to my core. I called my mom later that night, told her what happened. She told me that she did some more reading about seeing the deer and learned that they are a sign of protection. And some people believe that a deer means that a higher power is watching over you. After my mom told me that, I couldn't help but think, what if I had not seen that deer that morning? Would I have even seen that shadow? Would have been able to do something to me? Why did it choose to show itself to me? Is it something about me or is it tied to that part of the woods? My mom texted me even later that night. She was sitting out on her back steps in my old little hometown when she heard some rustling near her storage shed. She shone her light into the dark and what stood there but a deer. A deer had never come into the backyard before, but that night, A large one stood tall staring back at my mom. She told me she felt like it was there, as if to say, ''It's okay, he's safe, don't worry, we got him.'' Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted
1: podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, Send it to us at eeriecast.com slash submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Breakroom is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show unexplained encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at eeriecast.com.